Mormon Discussion Podcast is about helping Latter-day Saints like you lead with faith while tackling deeper, complex issues within Mormonism. All financial support goes directly towards keeping the podcast alive and supporting listeners like you. To support the podcast, please consider becoming a premium subscriber at mormondiscussionpodcast.org. Again, that's Mormon Discussion Podcast, all one word, dot org. You can do this for as little as $3 a month or $25 a year. And this will also reward you by letting you listen to premium episodes like this one months before the general public has access. Thanks for listening. And now, on to what you've been waiting to hear. Lonnie Lamb, welcome to Mormon Discussion. How are you today? Good. How are you, Bill? I'm, I'm so doing, grateful to be here. Good, good. I'm doing exceptional. I'm gl- grateful for this chance to to have this conversation with you. You and I have been setting this up for maybe maybe a month now at this point, and uh, I'm just looking forward to your story. And I think the audience will uh, that listens to this will just really get a lot out of this story. And and it's something that I haven't. It's an angle I haven't focused a lot of time and attention to. But let's let it unfold. So would you start us off, Lonnie? Would you just maybe give us a little bit, um, just kind of a brief little bio about yourself before we kind of jump into the questions? Okay, sure. Yeah. So um, I was born and raised in a little town called Fallbrook in California. And um, my parents are converts to the church. And um, I lived in the same house for until I went off to college. So I, I, when I say I was raised there, I was born and raised <laughs> But um, I had a fantastic childhood, and I have the most phenomenal parents. I have a, um, a younger sister and a younger brother, so I'm the oldest, and um, we are super close. Uh, we get along great. We have um, we keep in contact, and and um, really spend a lot of time just keeping track of one another. And I think that comes just from my parents. But um, I also. I started going to church when I was a little girl, like baby age with my mom. Um, she was the first to convert. And then my dad joined the church when um, around eight years old. And we can probably you'll probably ask more questions about that. But I grew up in the church and um, but I grew up in California version of the church. So I feel like it's a little different. I don't know. Other Californians may say something you know, different than that. But um, I went to a non-denominational Christian um, private school for the majority of my, ed- my early education. And, um, I learned a lot from that. I rooted myself there. I met a lot of great people. Um, and yeah, I, um, that was, ki- that's kind of my childhood. And then I, from there, I, I went to middle school and high school. And then from there, I went off to college and met my husband. And, um, yeah, I, I think, is there anything else you want to know in there or? Well, we should, let's back up just a touch and, okay. and let's talk about, Maybe just briefly kind of your, this conversion that happens in your family okay. and, and maybe kind of set up for us, maybe the, the angle from which your, your parents were coming from that kind of maybe, uh, impacts or gives you some shape and form to who you are early on. Okay. Yeah. So my parents, um, my mom was raised, I believe it was Unitarian Universalist. I believe that's what she calls it. Um, and my dad was, I, if I remember correctly, my dad was raised just, um, like a standard Christian church. I don't, I don't think it was like a religion of any sort, but, um, both of, both of my grandparents on both sides, my dad's parents and my mom's parents, they both, um, wanted 
the kids to have a foundation. But when they turned 18, it was kind of known that they could just choose their own path. And my parents developed that same belief system with us kids, my brother, my sister and I. Um, and so my dad's my dad's side of the family joined the church way before my dad did. And I and I'm pretty sure they were they were members way before my mom, too. I'm a little fuzzy on the dates about that. And I apologize for that. I probably should have gotten that a little bit more information on that. But um, my aunt, and my uncle on my dad's side was, was actually in the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. So they were pretty they were they were they were very devout. Um, and that's my, that's my dad's brother. But so my parents really wanted us to have some sort of foundation. Well, my mom, um, was kind of in a search and this is when I was a baby, baby, like, cause I remember her telling me that I was in nursery when she started going to the church. So, so they didn't have any of the other kids, obviously, but my mom, um, she was searching and she had been attending a different church and she just said that it just wasn't for her soul, it wasn't feeding her the way she wanted to be fed. So she found, she had a friend, a neighbor that, that introduced her to the church and she started going and she really loved the family dynamic of Mormonism. And she, um, it, it just really answered a lot of her questions. It, she loved the, the theology of where there's a spirit world and, and then, you know, you have your eternal family and then you can, you know, you're sealed together for time and all eternity in the temple and you can, live forever, you know, in the, into the eternities. And she loved that part of it. My dad was, was not as quick to, to hop on the Mormon bandwagon. Right. So he, he, it took, I think my mom said it took seven sets of missionaries for him. And he, um, he would, I, I don't ever remember seeing him drink alcohol but he said that every now and then he would casually have a drink. And, but I do not remember that. I don't, I don't know whether he was really careful around, around us kids. I, I don't, I don't remember, but I, he loved football and he loved being, you know, watching the game with the guys. And, um, and then he also, and he'll tell you now, he's, he's, he's such a good guy. He'll tell you now that his language was always a problem. He, um, was a part of the military for part of his youth growing up and, he picked up on just picked up on the bad language. And that was something that he never really had a desire to change. And he told the bishop that later, you know, I can change some things, but you're going to I'm you're just going to have to forgive me on my language. But so my dad, it took my dad a while to get to get there. And, and I was eight years old. My mom had already been baptized and my dad still hadn't been. And I had turned eight and I really, really wanted to get baptized. The church just really fed me like it fed my mom, the gospel did that the church offers. And, and so I, um, I really wanted my dad to be the one that did that. But I got to a point where I told my dad, if, if you're not going to do this, I need to have somebody else do it. Cause this is really what I want. And long story short, he was baptized and was able to baptize me. But I really believe that what, what rooted my testimony the way it is now is that my parents were never afraid to expose me to all religions. They were advocates for that. And, and they even growing up, they, or from, from the time that I could remember until I was eight, let's say that, cause, cause, because their conversion kind of sits in that. They were always said, go and you're gonna, as you grow up, you're gonna go and you're gonna visit other churches and you're gonna have friends from other religions and you're gonna wanna go and experience those because you're gonna wanna know what it feels like to have a different feeling from one church to the next. 
And and so I believe because they never were threatened by other religions, because they they had been on the other side, that that was a huge factor in why I still have love for the gospel in my heart. Does that make sense? Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, I, and this kind of ties into it because it's, it's important, I think, to what you're saying in, in that you say that in California, like the church is just, it's just a different thing. It's this different kind of entity. And I'm curious, like you say, like your parents, they're, they're much more flexible because they're growing up not in the, in the LDS bubble kind of in Utah or Idaho. And, and they're in this place where they're exposed to other things. And then so they're exposed to other religions and you, and you talk about kind of the power that has, but maybe speak for a moment, like how's the church different in California and, and what is that experience? Like, what can you say is unique to, to having been there rather than, than somewhere else? Yeah, sure. So California is kind of just its own <laughs> in and of itself, just its own thing. Right. And, and you get a lot more of the liberal side on many things when you're in California. But the best way I can describe what I mean is by telling you a story, because that's, I think that that's how I can express myself best. And this, I think, will help you and help your listeners understand what I mean by it being different. So when I lived 15 to 20 minutes inland from the beach, so the beach was something that that I it, it's a part of me. The ocean, it, I still to this day will go and sit on the beach and it's just there's something about it that just zens me. So we there was a lot of surfers in our ward, a ton. And and the number one, too, that you will see is. A lot of these surfers have long hair. The bishops don't care. At least the bishop in my ward, at the time that I was little, did not care, or in my youth. He, he just picked bigger fish to fry. Um, and But for some reason, that darn surf was awesome on Sunday mornings. And and the parents, I mean, I know that there were, there, you had your really super orthodox LDS parents that would not let their children go into the ocean or go surf. But... This particular, the particular ward that I was in and stake that I was in, the parents were a lot more lenient when it came to that because for a lot of those boys, the ocean was what calmed them down so that they could actually focus on sacrament and they could actually focus in their classes. And, and, and so there would be a couple kids that would Sunday morning would come in to pass the sacrament and you knew they'd been out surfing. Their hair's still wet. There's a little bit of sand in play, you know, like, like some of them would come. I remember one kid would come in in flip flops. And you could tell because there was still sand on his feet, but he was there and he was present and he loved the Lord and he was worthy to pass the sacrament. And our bishop, I I think that if the bishop, you know, wanted to, he could have said, hey, dude, like put your church shoes on before you come in. But it it was the bishop just loved that kid and he loved that he wanted to just show up and that he had lived his life worthy to be there. And the ocean for him was his place of peace where maybe where he even found the Lord before he came in to partake of the sacrament. And, and he would pass the sacrament like that. But there was multiple people that, that in my ward that had that experience where this Bishop was just, would just really focus on the things that mattered. And, and I remember that as a kid, you know, there were, there were some things that I, that I would go in and I would visit the visit, visit with him for. And, and he would just say, do you love the Lord? yeah, I love the Lord. I definitely love the Lord. And he's like, okay, then, then let's, let's, you know, 
let's do our best to be our best. And it was just like those type of things that seemed so different. You, I also, you know, my parents went through prop eight and, and we can get, we'll get into why that was very, a very hard thing for my, my family in particular, but the bishops, there was a lot of pressure on the bishops and the state presidents at that time, but there were those bishops and those state presidents that really honored their truth and loved the families that that would have um, created a problem for. And they were, they just didn't put those pressures on those families. And, and um, there were people in our ward that, that drank coffee still. And, and I remember the bishop, I remember those people telling me that the bishop was like, okay, you know, this is part of the word of wisdom, but, but at the same time, I know you and I, and I believe that you love the Lord and I believe that this is something that you can work towards. It, it, it's just a different mindset. I've always thought that. And when I lived in Idaho for a long time after I got married and there is definitely a difference, a huge difference to me. And, um, and I, th- and I was in Southern California. I think if you get into Northern California, there'll be even a bigger difference. So that's how, that's how I would, I, you know, if you're at, you know, to ask me, you know, how is it different? That's how, those are the things that I noticed were different. And that's amazing, right? Like when you have a leader who who knows what the rules and boundaries are, but they're just not as important as loving somebody. Like like the difference it makes in how the ward feels and how people love each other. I I can't say enough about how important it is to have like that kind of a leader, and and what that experience must have been like. And I also am impressed. As you point out, this young kid who you know on Sunday morning goes out to the beach and that that might be the place he finds God. And in some way, consciously or unconsciously, perhaps that leader perceived that. And and so he, it wasn't worth making a big deal out of, right? Because the kid did show up. The kid was there. And there's a million worse things people can be doing in this world. Yeah, 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 yeah totally. And I, I, to second that too, I mean, my own brother, like he is one of the most amazing souls that I have ever come in contact with. And it's because he's got fantastic parents, but I, he, he was one of those boys out surfing on Sunday morning and my parents never ever gave him any issues about that because they knew that that was where he, that's that he still, if you talk to him now, he's, he talks about that just being like the biggest rush for him. And he will tell you how spiritual it is being out there. He will tell you that. So yeah, it's, it, it, your, your leaders, make the biggest difference. And and I can say that because I've had leaders in California. I had leaders in Idaho and I'm now in Texas and I'm experiencing, it's a lot more like California, Texas is than Idaho. And I will tell you this, that your leaders make all the difference, all the difference. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you there. Yeah. I'm with you there. Yeah. I, uh, before we move on to another section, I, I want to also bring up because I, I think it's important as I, kind of read through your story, the outline you sent, it seemed like it was something that kind of stuck out to me. And Mm -hmm. and it seems like through some of these like bullet points that it stuck out to you too. But this early childhood of growing up, your parents' willingness and seeing it as a positive option to get you involved in other churches, would you mind maybe speaking about some of that activity, whether directly or indirectly in some of the programs of, of churches around you? Yeah. So, okay. So my parents put me in this private school that was non-denominational, born again, Christian. That's what they called themselves, that, that title, Christian high school, middle school. 
they, my dad was a doctor, so he's a chiropractor and his practice was in the town that that school was in, which was about 30 minutes north of where we lived. So part of the reason they put me in that school was because the, the distance, they didn't want to be too far away from us, you know, if something were to happen at school. But he also really wanted, it was super small and he wanted to be able to keep track of us kids, really. And, um, but he knew and my mom knew that putting me there, um, was going to be really, um, exposing me to lots of different religions. So that's kind of where that started. Now, what's interesting is, is that they started. So when I started going to school there, I was very vocal about my beliefs. I was very proud of being Mormon. I believed it to a core. I, nothing would rattle me, nothing at all. I, I just was, I was very devoted to the church and, um, I was loud about it. And that really did not set well with the faculty at the school. And because the faculty was, was very devout Christian and they were, they, not that Mormons are not Christians and I want to make, oh, I got to be careful of that because that bothered me while I was at the school. They separated me. Mormons were Mormons and Christians were Christians. So they attended churches that did not believe that, that I was of a Christian faith, right? That Christ was not even a part of our, our belief system, which is, you know, not accurate, but they were learning so much stuff against Mormonism in their, in their churches at the time. And, and so at one point I remember after I had been accepted, it was a private school and they, they, I guess they accepted you or they didn't accept you. I don't, I don't remember, but I remember at one point they were telling my parents that, that they really didn't want any more Mormons attending the school. So it was, I, I guess I was kind of, I don't know, from my perspective, I, looking back, I think I was creating a little bit of a wave there, but so there was one other LDS girl besides me attending the school and there was my, and then there was my brother. And so there was three LDS kids and my graduating class was 56 kids. So that's how tiny it was. But so it didn't take much to make a little bit of a ripple. Right. But, um, so all these other girls that I was hanging out with and I still keep in contact, really close contact with two of them. They were from all different religions. So we had a, Christian science. We had a Catholic. We had, um, I believe there was actually a church of Scientology, a member of the church of Scientology there. Um, and then all the rest, I think were just, um, attending just different born again churches. And, and there was this group of us that really stuck together. And naturally when you have that group of friends, they're going to invite you to their church. And, and so my parents, we're like, yeah, go, go feel. Cause my mom was like, I want you to feel the difference. You need to know what it feels like to feel Mormonism. And you need to know what it feels like when you sit in the Catholic church, you need to know what it feels like when you are going into a church and they're not singing hymns, they're singing, excuse me, they're singing praise band um, songs and, and they're, they're, they're lifting their hands in the air and they're playing the drums and they're playing the guitar. And they, they wanted me to just be exposed to all the elements so that there was never this fear of, what else was out there? And what slowly happened over time was I did notice the feeling. I loved the reverence that I felt in, in Mormonism. But you know what? I also acknowledge that there are some people that don't like that reverence. They, they feel the spirit when they walk into 
to a room where there was a band playing and they're praising God and they're like, I had all my girlfriends. I watched them. I watched them lift their hands in the air and feel that love that they felt for, for their heavenly father. And, and those girls were beautiful girls and they were so loving and they, they supported me in my, in my church and in my beliefs. And, and I was able to see that. And so I think that that I would, I recommend to any parent, do not create a fortress around your children to where they're not, they're not exposed to other religions. They need to be able to feel that difference. And, and yes, are there going to be kids that are like, Oh, I like that church better. There might be, but my parents always said Mormonism will be what's taught in our home. And then when you are 18, you go and you be free and you spread your wings and you do what you need to do. And, and I remember, I know that they wanted me to, to get married in the church and they wanted me to have families and they wanted me to experience the temple and they wanted me to, 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 um, have my kids that way. And, and they wanted that for my brother and for my sister, right? But they weren't going to be the ones that said, you can't do that. You can't go find happiness at the Catholic church. You can't go find happiness at, at the Lutheran church. You can't, they weren't like that ever, ever. So that's where that's, that's a little bit of how I think um, that played out in my life. Wow, I, I'm just impressed with the maturity of your of your parents, like the ability to to like step outside themselves and say like, what's best for our kids, and and being exposed to diversity and differences and all of that. It's something that so many of us within Mormonism are kind of afraid of, and yet your parents almost seemed excited. To, to let you experience those things. That seems incredible. Um, I, I want to jump into your senior year because you, you make to you, this is really important. And so I, I want to jump into that and you tell us how your senior year of high school went and and what experiences you had during that year. Okay. So my senior year of high school was very unique. Um, so by that time I, I, I really knew and really had a firm testimony in the church. And, um, but I, I also, my parents also really wanted me to, um, explore, you know, just, just the other parts of my soul. And, and one of those things was singing. I, 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 um, I had performed, you know, at, at school and I, I, um, I just really loved singing. It was a place I would, I would close myself in my room and I would turn on Celine Dion and I would turn on, there was a, there's an artist. She's from another country, but Laura Fabian, they just were these powerhouse voices and I would, I would just mimic them and I would, I would watch myself in the mirror and I would, I would do my own music videos and I, it, like, I just loved to sing. Well, my senior year of high school, I had a girlfriend that was, um, she was a phenomenal dancer and she could, she could sing as well. And she had heard that Columbia Records was doing a audition and, um, they were looking for like the new Spice Girls group and, um, they were having open auditions. Well, this was in Santa Monica area and that's like three hours away from my house. And my parents, my dad was, you know, busy with his chiropractic practice and my mom, I believe at that time was working as well. And, um, so there was just not, I don't remember them wanting me to drive by myself all the way there. I, I think they, they were pretty, my dad, my dad didn't even like me walking down the strip mall that his practice was in to go to like the end, like little convenience store to get candy bar. He wanted to walk me there just even as a senior in high school, he was very protective of his girls. 
and even his, and even my brother. But um, so my our other girlfriend offered to take me. She said, hey, if I drive you there, will you go, please? Because I couldn't ride with the girl that was going to the audition because the way these auditions work is you kind of have a number and and you don't know when you're going to get in, really. And and so she didn't want to have to sit there. And I, I, I mean, totally, I totally get that. So my other girlfriend took me. And, and this girlfriend of mine, I, she's one of my closest friends now. She just had such a belief in me and that I didn't even have in myself. And, and she, she pulls, so she drives me, she drives me to, we're on our way and she's like, what are you going to sing? And I was like, I don't know. So we literally pull into, like at that time they had CD stores that you could drive up to and you could go in and you could buy a CD. And usually that CD had an instrumental on it. And then there was like a little song book in it with the lyrics. Well, I picked my song and um, I, I should have done more research on this, obviously, but I picked an artist that was on Columbia Records like label that was really popular at the time. So everybody down there was going to know the, the lyrics to the song. So which you shouldn't probably do, because if you forget the lyrics like I did, you they know. So. Anyway, I get to this audition. We, we, it's three hour drive. I practice the song over and over and over again. And I probably practice it too much, which is why the, the lyrics slipped my mind. But I get into this audition and long story short, I, 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 I sing the song and, um, I, I forget part of the lyrics. So I make up my own, which made it even better because they were like, what are you doing? But they, I was like, I didn't get this. Like I knew in the middle of it, I had already told myself in the middle of the audition, you did not get this. So just make the best of it. Just have fun because you're never going to see these people again. So don't worry about it. I think I might've even started like doing a little dance too, because it became so uncomfortable in it. But I, I sang, my voice was still there. And, um, and so when the song ended, I was like, okay, thanks. And they were like, no, no, come here. And they, they brought me up to the table and, and, and they started asking me a bunch of questions, which I figured were routine. And I get out of the audition and, um, my girlfriend's sitting there and she was like, did you get it? And I said, I don't know. They haven't made any, any decisions, but no, I'm sure I did not get, I did not get selected. And she's like, you were in there forever. So it was a while. It was, I would say it was like a couple weeks maybe that I just waited by the phone because I, because I still had that hope, right? That I was going to make it and I was going to, this was going to be this amazing experience. And, but yet the, the, you know, you have your critics, your own inner critic that says, no, like, do you remember how that audition went? You know, well, I made it like they, they called my parents and they, my mom came down to the school to tell me. And, and so the majority of my senior year, I was traveling back and forth from, from Fallbrook to Santa Monica to LA to, to be a part of this group. And we were, we were, we were not under any contract. We were, we were develop we were artists in, in development. So it was, it, I got to rub shoulders with some of the top vocal instructors and choreographers and, and the, the, the executive A&R rep that was there had, was the one that found and, and made Aerosmith who he was and Bon Jovi and Cher. So I was like, I didn't realize it at the time that this, I was surrounded by these people that, I mean, kids my age just don't get that opportunity. And I, and I didn't even, I was just so in awe because I was in this little town, right? And I, I didn't have a manager. I was the underdog. And, and, 
at the audition, all these kids had showed up with their managers and their parents and, and their agents. And I just didn't, that's another reason why I figured I'd never make it. But so my senior year, I was exposed to the music industry and, and, um, I think that that was another big, huge pivot, pivotal time that I had where I rooted my testimony. And, and, um, because the music industry is not exactly the, um, the, the most, I don't want to use the word pure, but it's not the most innocent, um, industry. <laughs> I think, I think anybody can, can gather that. It's just any, anything Hollywood usually isn't. Um, but I, at, at a young age, right? So I'm, I'm 17. I wasn't 18 yet. So I'm 17 and I'm, all I know is the law, you know, I have the law of chastity and, and having your virtue and you don't drink and you don't smoke and you don't, you don't, do drugs and, and everything around me kind of that was there, you know? So it was, it, I really had to, um, know who I was. Now the, the executives that I was working with were amazing. Never did I ever feel unsafe with them. My parents trusted them. They made sure that, um, we carried around, um, uh, bottles of water when we were at any events that we were supposed to be, you know, um, like they took us to a concert, this little concert one time. It was a showcase of, of another girl that was trying to make it in the industry. And, and they told us, you, you carry bottled water around. You do not put it down. If you put it down, you come back to me and I will buy you a new one. They were just very, very careful with, with us. And, um, but when I really started to see it was actually after my, my, um, when Columbia ended. So the end of my senior year, we did a showcase in front of um, a huge, a huge manager that was going to hopefully take over our, our group. And the showcase just wasn't good. It was it. Um, we weren't ready. And um, it, it was sad because you had a lot of talent there, but they, it just wasn't it just didn't get there. And and so I didn't want to, like, completely close the door on music because I was on this high for the last eight months. Right. I think it was about eight months that I did it. And you're on this high because you're in this world that you never thought you'd be a part of. And, and while I had the people around me that I had, I really didn't want to like shut all the doors. So, um, I kept, I stayed in the music industry for a little bit longer, but it wasn't with Columbia. It was actually with a different group that, that had come to Columbia looking for girls and I had heard about it. Um, and that's when I actually was exposed to the, the, the dirtiness of it. And I remember I, um, I can tell a quick story and I'm going to try to, I'm not going to mention, of course, any names because I just don't. The world's too small. But um, this will kind of help you understand what I mean. So I was I was able to drive. My grandpa had a car that I was able to drive back and forth because my parents at this time, because I was out of high school now by this time. And um, my parents said, you can go ahead and drive grandpa's car back and forth and you stay at grandpa's house because it was just closer to home. So I wasn't having to drive the full like three hours. Well, there was in this particular group there, they had gotten... A, a, an apartment for the rest of the girls. I was commuting, so I wasn't actually like renting a room there, but, um, there was, they would give me the 6 a.m. recording sessions because I wasn't drinking. I wasn't doing drugs. I wasn't out late at night. I they could rely on me to just be there and show up to, to my session. And, um, I remember one particular night I was studying the Book of Mormon right on the couch and there's all these, there's these girls from the band around. They probably looking back, they were probably like, Oh my gosh, this girl. But I was studying the Book of Mormon because I honestly felt so uncomfortable with what was going on around me. And, um, and so I, 
I, I would, I would sit there on the couch and I would study it. Well, I remember one of the girls had her significant other in, in the bedroom. And, and I remember she winked at me and she said, I'll be right back. And she went in and she didn't come out for a while, but I knew what was going on in that room. And, but it was like, I'm right here, you know, and, and she didn't, it, it gets worse from there, but I'm not going to just for the sake of your audience, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into it. But that's when I really decided that it, this was not for me, that this, at least the, the avenue that I was taking was not for me because I was going to continually be put in, in these, in these environments where drugs were okay, where sex was okay with whoever, where alcohol was a part of the picture. It just was never, my spirit was just bouncing off the walls of my body. It was just never going to work for me at that time. And, and so I knew because of what I had been taught at church, I knew who I was and I knew that, you know what, I've got a college, a little college. Um, I had like a, I had a tiny little scholarship waiting at Rick's college. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to college. (laughs) I'm going to just do what I think I should do to make sure that my life is better than what I'm witnessing right now. And before I had left, I jumped back a tiny bit, before I had left Columbia or before they, they, they dissolved the group, one of the A&R guys that were there took me aside and said to me, I want to give you some advice, Lonnie, because I really think that you are a really good girl. He said, please never, ever, ever date a rock star. And he said, go to college and get your degree. Because you can do that. And he's like, and if music comes after that, great. But go do those things right now. And then as I go to leave, he said, but remember, never date a rock star. And I was like, okay. So I I always remembered him telling me that. So I just, I decided that I was going to go to Rick's College. And I literally left one of my last recording sessions. I drove home, drove straight home to my parents I remember walking in the house and I remember crumpling to my knees and just bawling my eyes out because I was terrified that I, that I had driven away. I was terrified of what was going to come, you know, following college. I was terrified that music would never be in my life again. And, and my mom was like, get up off the floor and you're going to go to college and you are going to have a beautiful life. And you've had the experience of a lifetime and be grateful for every moment that Heavenly Father gave you in that. So that was a big, huge, a big, huge event in my life. That that stint in in um in my senior year. Wow, wow. And, and you and so then you set you set music aside the, in terms of any type of um, professional desire to do something with that. You set that off to the side. Your mom gives you this great advice. This this uh, person in the music industry gives you this great advice. And, and so now you've decided you're going to Rick's college. Uh, tell us a little bit about your experience there at Rick's. Yeah. Okay. So I was so excited. So I was on summer winter guarantee. Okay. So I kind of was on that track program that they had. And, um, and I was excited now because my mom and my dad had really helped me build that excitement because this was a big jump for me, right? College. And, um, so I got my, that whole summer, my first summer at Rick's was, the best memories. I built so many amazing friendships and, um, I really believe that was tender mercies because it made me want to go back in the winter. But I, I would continue to, we formed a little band, like there was a little band that was formed. So I was, I was able to still sing 
because I loved singing and I loved performing, but professionally it was out. And I was okay with that. I almost didn't want it to be there in my life professionally because I, I, because of what I had seen and, and, and experienced, you know, outside of Columbia too, it was, it was like, I just wanted to be normal. I really wanted a normal life. And not that I was famous in any way. I just, it almost scared me what could have been. And, um, and so I just really thrived at Rick's in the summer. So then I had to come back for the fall to home to San Diego. And I don't remember what I did in there. I think I worked just to get ready to go back. Um, and so I, I went back to Rick's college that winter, but that was horrible. That winter was just horrible. I had great friends, but I went from San Diego to the, to the, to, to what felt like the Arctic. So I, I'm like, I'm tan, right? Cause I had come, I, you still have a little bit of the beach. And, and I, at that time I was tanning tanning beds because that's just what you do when you aren't at the beach in the sun, you, you have a tanning bed. So I was, I was tanning. So I was super tan and I show up to Rexburg, you know, and it's freezing. Like I, I call my mom and I was like, you get me out of here. I cannot stay here. I need to be home. I, I want to have the sun. And she was like, Lonnie, you need to go find the nearest tanning salon and you need to go tan. You will be fine. And I did it. Like that was her advice because she was like, get, get some sun, get some vitamin D going in your system. Cause it, cause it was like, Oh, you just need some warmth, feel warm. And so I did and it was working. It like did what it was supposed to do. Right. So I, I, um, so I would go to like the tanning bed. This sounds so bad, but I would, I would go to the tanning bed and I would feel better. And then over time I was meeting more and more people and it was becoming more and more and more fun. So my experience at Rick's was, was a beautiful experience. It really was. I was there for two years and, um, we were, that band was, was playing the band that I was in was playing the guitars unplugged and it was playing, you know, I, I was, I was, I guess I was at just living the, the best days when I was at Rick's college. And the very last semester I met my husband, Russ. Um, and I, um, that was actually the semester that it changed to BYU Idaho. So my associate's degree says BYU Idaho on it, but that was my, that was my, my time at Rick's. It was, it was good. It wasn't, I don't really remember anything bad about it. I, I really only got into trouble when I would have to come home to, to, you know, in between the, the little semesters, that's when I really got into trouble was when I would have to come home because then I wouldn't want to go back. But then I, you know, cause it was cold and I would, you know, I'd have to go back. But, but my parents, um, my parents really wanted me to be at a church affiliated school still, even though I was over 18, <laughs> they still, you know, it was still there. Like, please choose Mormonism, please. So, yeah. So before you meet Russ, uh, you didn't date any rock stars though. You took the I advice. I did not date any <laughs> rock stars. But the reason I got that advice was, was because this is, so this is crazy and I'll tell it really fast. There was a heavy metal band that was, that they were, they had an album out. So they were signed at that time. There was a heavy metal band and they were crazy. But the lead singer was Mormon. And it was like, that to me was like, dude, like a sign, right? <laughs> well, the A&R rep, got wind of this watching this happen. Cause we would have to, I, we would go to their concerts. They would take us to their concerts. Cause we were all kind of, the, my A&R guys were working with their, or, or, or excuse me, my A&R guys were their A&R guys. So it was like under the same people. So we could follow these guys around. Well, I was just, you know, like, Oh my gosh, 
this guy's Mormon, like, and we're both in the music industry and this is going to be amazing. Well, that's where that came from because the, the A&R rep was like, huh, you are not going to date a rock star. So anyway, that's where that came from. But no, I did not ever date a rock star. No. So two years at Rick's, you, you meet this really cool guy, Russ. Yeah. And you get your associate's degree. Mm-hmm. Um, where do you go from there? Um, BYU, Hawaii. We both went to BYU, Hawaii after that. And tell us about that experience. Like, so you, so you go from California yep. on the beach, <laughs> uh, being, being in that cool surfer crowd, long hair on the guys. You, you go to Idaho mm-hmm. to, to go to your, for two years of school, which is a night and day difference, right? From oh, yeah. being on the beach of the ocean. Oh yeah. In warm weather to snow on the ground. And yep. So, and then, and then you go to Hawaii, which maybe is a little more like California, but it's, it's its own place too. And it's really incredible. Uh, tell us about your time there. Oh, that was the best semester ever. It was so amazing. And, and it was, I think it was because I had the beach back, but the teachers, the instructors, it was super relaxed. Right. And that's what I thrived in anyway, that type of environment. Like if the surf was really good, the teachers were like, just do your homework, but go ahead. Cause the guys couldn't concentrate anyway because they wanted to be out in the ocean. So it was, it, man, they had, we had some really good, um, uh, what do you call them? Like, uh, oh my gosh, I want to call it a chapel, but that's not what it's called. That was what the, um, where the, you know, you go in and you listen to the, the general authority speak and the, they, they just had really, really good ways to, um, address the students at BYU Hawaii. So it wasn't just like you were off on an island somewhere else. But, um, Russ and I ended up engaged in Hawaii. So we got engaged in October of 2002, right? No. Cause we got married in March of 2003. So yeah, October of 2002, we were, we, we got engaged in Hawaii. It was super romantic. Um, I mean, what wouldn't be, right? Any, anywhere you go in Hawaii, it's going to be beautiful. It was, yeah, it was, it was super romantic and, um, and we just, we were engaged and finished out the semester. Russ had to graduate from there. So he, he got his bachelor's degree that semester. So I started into my undergrad at that time. I started into my bachelor's degree. So when he had graduated, he actually went to Idaho and I went back to California to plan the wedding. And the reason we did that was because, um, we wanted to make it to the temple. I'll just, just say that because <laughs> it was just getting too crazy. So, um, we went our separate ways just to, you know, to keep, to keep the distance there until we could, we could see each other again a week before our wedding. So, um, yeah, that, that BYU was short. It was, it was just a few months, you know, I was just there one semester, but it was awesome. I want to say too, like, I appreciate the vulnerability. Uh, I think all of us, when, when we're, we're dating in the church and there's these standards and the goal is to go to the temple and to be sealed for time and eternity, at the same time, like we're, we're older teenagers or we're young adults and that comes with, with, uh, you know, desires and things that we all want to kind of experience and do. And, and I think for all of us, it's difficult. And I don't think it's fair sometimes when we paint the picture, when sometimes people mess up, like to recognize, like we all almost messed up yeah, and, and to kind of grant that kind of space for people and just to recognize, like my experience is different than your experience. And maybe that helped you or maybe that helped me and maybe it didn't help them, their experience to, to be able to maintain that and, 
and like we're all on the verge of messing up. Right. Well, and yeah, I mean, and the majority do, right? I mean, if you look at the standards of the church and what they tell you you're not supposed to do, I don't know very many people that don't technically because in some way, I don't know. I just, I, part of like what makes me who I am is that I want to give a hand and take a hand. And if that means that I have to be really real about the tri- the trials and tribulations that I went through in my life, then I will be. And, and one of the, my biggest struggle bill was morality. It was, it was so hard for me. And I don't, I don't know why, but I struggled with it constantly, constantly. But I will say that this is kind of, so this, so my parents, because they're converts to the church, right? My parents weren't, um, how do I put this appropriately? My parents didn't have to live those standards, right? Cause they weren't a part of, a part of the church at that time. So my dad, when Russ asked permission to marry me, my mom said that my dad broke out like in hives or, or like a rash or, or something happened with the skin, like all, all up his arms and all. <laughs> and I, I think he was just like, Oh my gosh, she's so young. Like, cause my dad always was like, finish your education, get married, have kids, right? There was this timeline that you should follow. But that's just not the way it works in the Mormon world. And I was a Mormon. I was, I was going to do this the way I felt that I needed to do this. And, and I was 20. I was so young. And, and so my dad, of course, loves Russ. He still, I mean, he treats Russ like, like my, my brother. He, he, you wouldn't know that there's, it wasn't his, you know, my husband, besides the fact that we're married, wasn't his own. He just loves him to death. And he always has. And, um, so of course he, he said, of course, yes, you can marry my daughter. Well, then when they got wind that we were going to have a marriage in, in, it was going to actually happen in three months. Then my dad panicked because he was like, why are you getting married in three months? <laughs> finish your degree, finish. So I had to kind of say to my dad, dad, do you, do you, I don't think you're understanding how that dad, you realize that we can't do certain things right now. Like I had to like remind him, I think we, I don't know why it wasn't like connecting, but I, he's like, just have a year engagement. We'll have the reception outside. That'll give me time to get the backyard ready. And I'm like a year engaged. Okay. Hold on a minute. My parents dated for five years before they were married. Right. So I was like, dad, this, this isn't working the same way you and mom worked this, this, uh, I was trying to like explain it to him in the most loving way possible that if I don't get married soon, things, I'm not going to go to that temple you want me to go to. So it was, it was just interesting to have my parents, my dad's perspective on it. Cause he just wanted me to just wait for so long. It, it makes in my head, like I'm making this connection for the first time, Lonnie, which is that Mormonism encourages these quick engagements, marry at a young age. And, it, and it's for this reason, because if they don't, oh, yeah. like they're going to lose these people when, when they don't live up to the standards, which are near impossible to live up to when you, when you, when you have to do it over this long period of time of stretching this out, right? Oh, yeah. And, and I even look at my own kids, Bill. I have three boys, right? So there's going to be tons of hormones in our, in our house, right? In the next 10, 12 years. And for me, I, I don't want, I, I look back at how young my husband and I were and we didn't have kids for five years. We waited to have kids. And I'm so glad we did, Bill, because I don't think our marriage would have stayed together. Marriage is so hard. And when you get married that young, it's like, and that fast, 
it, it, you don't really, I'm grateful that we made it over a year before we actually got married. It's, it's, I, I, everybody has their own path, right? And if you're ready to marry somebody in two months, two weeks, whatever, fine. That's your, that's your truth. Go for it. But I don't encourage my boys when, when the time comes to, to have, you know, that discussion, that will not be my encouragement. I, it will, I would like to see them. I, my parents always had the rule, please date a guy more than a year before you do anything serious because you think you just start seeing each other for real after that year mark. So that was just always something that my parents taught me. So in my mind, I didn't want to marry Russ until after a year. A, engagement could have been a part of that because you can break off an engagement, right? And you, I guess you can break off a marriage. You can, but it's just harder to do that. And why, why do you want to do that? So yeah, I do believe that. And I, I, I don't know if the, I mean, I guess they still do encourage that quick marriage. I, yeah, yeah, they, I, I don't recommend that. I don't, sorry to the church, but I just don't, I don't recommend that. I don't, it was a miracle. I, it's a miracle that marriages make it getting married that young and getting, you know, courting so short. So, right. Yeah. And, and that's, and again, not right or wrong. That's just, that's the way this system is set up because the rules are so, so laid out. And yeah. falling short of those rules prevents you from participating in in the institutional makeup, right? In a way yeah. that, that the church prescribes. And and I want to I don't want to hijack your interview here, but I want to share insert a story which I think is important for the listener. Yeah, because it, it. it testifies to what you're saying. Our oldest kid, just a good he's he's a uh, it's our son. He's 18 years old, just a good kid. He's generally made good choices. Yeah, he dealt with some of the teenager stuff, but but outside of that, he never gave his mom or dad extra added stress. We moved from Ohio to St. George, Utah, and he had a girlfriend back in Ohio, and they maintained this long-distance relationship. She would come here once or twice a year, and he would go there once or twice a year, and she, their family, you know, her mom and her would stay with us, and when my son went back there, he would live with grandma and grandpa and, and visit her during the day. And they did a, what I, at least as far as I know, they did a great job of maintaining what, what the rules were as he knew them to be as a Mormon. And we, we moved to St. George. He graduates high school and, and I'm going to be just vulnerable here. I, I know some listeners will be kind of frustrated with this, Mm -hmm. but she moves out here after he graduates. Soon as she graduates, she packs up her car and she moves here. Mm -hmm. Now, as parents, I could say like, son, the best thing to do is just get married. And that way we're not breaking the law of chastity. But in my heart, like I, it didn't feel like the right thing. Like what if these two who barely know each other, what if these two can't make it? What if they're so different that this isn't going to work? And so the two of them move in together and, and they're engaged and they move in together. And we, we all know what that means. Yeah. And at the same time, like it would have been, I think it would have been the worst. If there's good, better, best, this would be the bad. The bad decision is having two people just out of high school who barely know each other, but are absolutely determined to, to see if this relationship works, to, to force them to get married and, and to say like, this is what you should do. And so his mom and I, we just backed off and said like, the best thing to do here is what you're doing. Go move in. Like, let's see where you're at in a year. Don't get pregnant. Use protection, use birth control, mm-hmm. don't get pregnant. But in no way, shape, or form is the best advice for two strangers 
who think they love each other to jump into this kind of thing barely knowing each other. And, yeah. and, and so that was the decision we made. And I think it testifies what you're saying, which is like recognizing like, man, this is difficult and it's fluid and everybody's life is different. And let's just honor where we're at. Yeah. Well, and I think what I love the most about what you just said too, when you told that story is that as his mom and I just backed off, you know, your children better than anybody does, better than any church leader, better than any general authority. You know, your children better. You are, I believe that we as parents are a team with our heavenly family, with heavenly father, heavenly mother, our savior. I, I don't believe that anybody should ever come in between that relationship because you have been given the tools as parents and, and the, and the, um, the impressions as parents of how to guide your children the best. And you know what though? Maybe that was the best for them. And I think it's great that you took that, that step as a parent and said, you know what? I'm going to back away from this and I'm going to let this happen the way it's supposed to happen. Right. Right. Um, so you and Russ, you, you wait this year, you, you, you go kind of off in your own places to raise money kind of to, to kind of get you guys off the ground and started when you get married. Tell us about, um, you guys get married and then, and then you guys go to back to Idaho as a couple. And what is that? What does that look like? Okay. So, so, okay. So we're engaged and we go our separate ways and then it comes time for the wedding and um, it's a week before and we get married in the Boise, Idaho temple. We did not do the San Diego temple. My mother-in-law wanted me to get married in the San Diego temple so bad, but I said to her, okay, let's, let's look at this. I will literally have, so I had the only members that I would have like that would have been able to go in our ceiling would have been my dad, my mom and my grandma. Cause my brother and my sister weren't old enough. And and then ward members that I hadn't been around for years because I'd been at college. So I just, and all, Russ's family from four, I think it's four generations back or LDS. So I was like, we would have three people in the ceiling or however many with all the families. There would have been enough seats and probably some left open. Let's put it that way. In our ceiling in Boise, there were family members standing. So it, we did Boise because it was just smarter to do it that way. And there was more people that could attend. And my, my dad's side of the family lived in Utah, so they could actually come to it. So we, we got married there and we start our life in Idaho. Um, we rented a little apartment there and, um, we both worked and I started experiencing what it was like to live in Idaho. Tell me, I, I want to dive into that. I think, more like what is it like you're you're freshly married it, everything is new everything is exciting you're you're in the same home you're you're decorating things you're making this place uh your own um you're both kind of starting off your lives together maybe give us kind of a sense because I, I think it's one of these magical moments in every one of our lives when we when we do this when we get married and and we start this life together with someone else um, maybe anything that's coming to mind as I ask that. Yeah, I, our first year. So I hear a lot of people say the first year was the hardest. Ours was not. I, I loved our first year. I, I think that, I, I mean, we, I think we lived up our first year the best we could. Um, just getting to know each other in every aspect 
Um, I, yeah, you start learning the little, little things that are like, oh, you know, I, my husband and I joke around about it that you, you always <laughs> like the bathroom, right? We had one bathroom. So he shaves and I brush my teeth and, and it's like when you leave that bathroom, the sink isn't clean, right? So you learn like how your, how each person ticks because you weren't living with them before. So, but other than that, I, I, other than those little things that would annoy you right off the bat that were so little and they could be fixed, we had the best first year. We really did. And, and honestly, um, we had a really good first five years. It wasn't, we, we just, we, we traveled a ton. So we were able to go just, um, to different cities and we were able to take, we went on a cruise and, with, with, um, my, my parent or my, uh, husband's parents and, and the, his whole family. And, um, we would have, we would travel back and forth for the holidays and we were just able to come and go as we please. We didn't have any kids and we had dual incomes. That's always awesome. So we had dual income. So it, it wasn't that money wasn't a factor. I mean, we still, we weren't making, you know, tons of money, but we didn't have really any debt either. So we, we were, j- it was just a very, um, smooth time that we were having. We were um, active in the church and we had friends. The The leaders really liked us. We were young and, and the the um, bishopric really enjoyed having us around and they would put us in with the kids and we got to teach. We got to teach all ages. I think our favorite that we taught were the, gosh, I don't remember if they were 14, 15, but we loved that class because we still do keep in contact with some of those kids who are now married. So it, we just had a good first Five years, but I want to add to that, that during this whole time now, I'm beginning to really be, um, I don't want to say indoctrinated, but I, I, the California in me is starting to come, go away because I've, I'm, the culture of, of Idaho is so thick, right? So I'm at that point, I'm starting to really live it very orthodox and that rocked my family, my immediate family's boat because my parents were still doing Mormonism the way they were doing it. Um, at this time, my sister, I don't think my sister had come out yet at this time, but my sister was struggling with her sexuality, but we didn't know that was the issue. So I was always trying to save, like rescue her, whatever, you know, she was trying to deal with at that time. Um, and my brother was, was performing. So he's a singer too. He, he has a, they, they, have a band and he was, you know, in bars performing because that's what he was doing. But there were reasons why he was doing that. He was having to put money on the table at that time. So I was, what I was actually looking back, what I was starting to do is becoming judgmental because it was, I was living in such a thick, I thought that I was checking off all the boxes and doing everything right. And I was trying to save my family. I loved my family and I wanted them to be more I wanted them to attend church every Sunday and I wanted to make sure that they, well, are you taking the sacrament and are you like things that I should not have been doing, but I didn't know that I didn't know any better. Hmm. Yeah. So things are, things are really good. And yet looking back now, it seems like you're sensing like life's about to change a little bit. And, and I wonder maybe if you can kind of walk us through like what now happens and, and not just with you, but with people around you, people you care about, people you love, like how does life begin to change? Well, I think that my parents, my parents, I think in a way 
were hurt by it because they didn't raise me to be that way. And, and I remember my mom saying, I think my mom would just get tired talking to me on the phone and just be like, I love you. Okay. Well, I got to go because it was, it was always just about, so what's your calling and, and how are you, you know, I, I just, I had such good intentions because I was so innocent in it, but I was hurting them. I was it, my dad, I was giving a hard time because he had a, at that time, I think that he just didn't want to go to priesthood. And I was like, you got to go to priesthood, dad. You've got to go because he wanted a temple recommend. He still wanted to go to the temple and participate, but they wouldn't at that time, they'd gotten a new bishop and it was just not good. And that bishop, if I remember correctly, wouldn't didn't want to renew his recommend because he hadn't been attending priesthood. And my dad isn't the type of guy that really likes to be told not like he can't do something because of something so silly. And, and in my mind, when he, my dad was telling me, I didn't think it was silly. I was like, well, you have to go. You have to attend priesthood, dad. You have to follow the rules. If you're going to go into the house of the Lord, you have to, you know, I was, and, and I think that really bothered him because he, he always loved me, but I think it just hurt him because they didn't want me to get that in deep. They always wanted me to look at religion as the architecture, but not the foundation, right, of your home. They wanted me to lay a foundation in Christ because they wanted me to have something to fall, you know, something sturdy to fall back on. And and prophets and apostles and Mormonism and, and whoever else, um, good, um, I don't know, um, friends that set good examples and and listening to going to different churches that have good, th- you know, good messages. Those were the like parts of the framework. Right. So if your framework came down, you still had Christ. But what it was looking like to my parents was, was that now my foundation was shifting and they that I think worried them. But they never told me that I shouldn't do that. They weren't doing what I was doing to them. So it I think that it was really hard, Bill. It was really, really hard. And I don't. At the time, I didn't realize how hard it was until now I can sit back in the place that I'm at now and look at it and be like, oh, wow, I really caused them pain. So it was hard. It was really, really hard. I'm I'm thinking as you're talking there, like your parents raise you with this flexibility and you're wrapping your arms around this flexibility as a as a as a youth. And you're, you know, looking back now as we're talking, you're with such appreciation for the the lack of rigidity that Mormonism can have. And here you are now, you start your life and you're in Idaho and, and you're in the center of just orthodoxy essentially. And, and you're essentially telling me like you're reaching out to your family as kind of the person who's doing the boundary maintenance. You're the person who wants to enforce the rules and make sure everybody is looks like walks like talks like a Mormon. And, and I get it like a hundred percent get it. Cause I was that person too, 10 years ago. Yeah. And yet everyone around you that, that loves you is like, man, knock it off. Oh, yeah. Um, but you don't sense it at the time. No, no. Because I, I, I was doing the right thing. I was doing what the Lord wanted. And, oh, man, I cannot believe these words are going to come out of my mouth. But Satan was deceiving my parents and my family. And and because that's what I was being taught. So it's it's like and, and we need to keep praying and keep hoping and for them and 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 you I, I was strong in the church when I was little but now you put me in Idaho where I'm just surrounded by people that were orthodox you know and 
And so you have no other way but to to really conform to that. And, and I didn't realize that was happening at the time. It was just natural. It was like, and and you're married and your husband is Orthodox. I mean, Russ was Orthodox as they come. I he wouldn't he didn't even want me to wear knee high boots to church. He didn't think they were appropriate. And I was like, excuse what? Like I I can wear whatever because <laughs> I come from California, right? It's like no, you can wear these. He wouldn't even. He's like, it is not appropriate for sacrament meeting to wear those. He didn't. And and I remember being so like those type of things grinded on my integrity plates, but. That's like, that's what I was be, that's what I was living around 24 seven. And in, in Idaho too, I mean, your employers are LDS and your, I, you, there's just a lot of Mormons around you. So that's what you do. Right. In California, there's, and I, like, I never lived there, but I understand a little bit of the culture just from watching it as an outsider. There is this encouragement to be a free spirit, but in, Heavily populated Mormon areas, the encouragement is to fit in the box. And, and I can sense from you, like, you knew what it took to get to the celestial kingdom. And darn it, you were going to make sure you got everybody you loved there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And that, that becomes the, the motivation for how we live. And so while your, while your husband is telling you yeah. that your boots are too high. Yes. And yes. you're frustrated that he's imposing that on you. You're picking up the phone and calling your mom and dad and telling your dad yeah. he needs to go to priesthood. Oh yeah. 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 You're and getting it. Becomes it. This, yeah. It becomes this circle. And, and I don't think we can help it. Like when we're in an earlier stage of life, that's the way we see the world and we see the world that way till we don't. And, and life has a way if yeah. we're willing to open our eyes to walk us into that next stage where we, we let go of whatever that ethnocentric us versus them type of mentality is. Yeah. But I'm, I'm just, and you can, you can hear the chuckle in my voice. I'm amused as I'm talking to you because this is what we've, all of us, every listener who's listening to this, this is what we went through. We were, we were imposing the rules until the rules didn't fit us. Yep. Um, yep. Tell us, uh, so, and I'm happy to take this little part out if you don't want to go there. I, yeah. You've got a part in your outline where you talk about kind of your marriage gets a little, a little tougher. Yeah. No. And, and I want you, if you're willing, I want you to speak to that because again, we, all of our marriages got tougher yeah. and, and I think you're going to speak to something that happened with all of us. Um, while the specifics are different in every one of our cases, every one of us, life tends to throw these challenges that get us to grow. And, and I just want to maybe give you a chance to speak to that. Yeah. So, I think this was Heavenly Father's way to, cause I still believe like so heavily in, in the deity, my Heavenly Father, my Heavenly Mother, and like I, I, anyway, but I really believe it was maybe his, a little bit of his way or her way of being like, hey, like it's time to, let's refocus here. So I, um, I don't want to like go too into detail because I want, I would want Russ here just so he, cause it's our story to tell together, but this is what I will say. Marriage, is hard and we found out how hard it can be. And, and we were both doing things that were not okay to one another. And, um, and I think we felt like we had the right to do that because of things that each other were doing. We weren't being honest with each other. We weren't being truthful, truthful in, in what we were telling one another. And, um, and that really shook us really shook us bad. And at that time we had a one-year-old already. So my oldest, it's nine now was one. And, and I think that, I think that had, and I had a really, we had a really good Bishop 
a really good bishop. In fact, I, oh, I just love him. When I go, when we go to visit in Idaho, I always try to see him because he was just, he gave us, he gave me some of the best counsel and I'll share that with you. But, um, I think we probably would have gotten divorced had we not had the one year old there. But, but I remember, um, I remember going into the bishop one final time and I remember being just very like, I didn't feel compassion. I didn't feel empathy for our situation. It was really bizarre, Bill. I was so numb. I remember telling my sister-in-law who was in a psychology degree at the time in San Francisco, I was like, my fingertips are numb. I literally cannot feel my fingertips. So I was having like physiological effects from the stress and from just the garbage that was going down between the two of us. And I, um, I remember my sister saying, you need help. Please don't be afraid to get a therapist. Please do not be afraid, which we already were at. We were in counseling. So, but I remember the bishop, I went in like, I don't, I don't remember even what got me there, Bill, but I remember I went in because I really trusted this guy. And I, I, I just remember just being difficult. And I remember him saying, okay, look, I really like Russ and I really like you. And I really think that you guys are actually really good together. And he said, right now you are experiencing really horrible things within your marriage. And he said, you are not alone at all. But he gave me the beautiful advice that he gave me is he said, when Russ comes out on the other side after therapy, and when you come out on the other side after therapy, I really do not want somebody else to benefit from the people on the other side of that. Having known all the work that you guys did to get there. You guys deserve the people on the other side of that hard work and that vulnerability and that, that integrity that you're going to have for each other when you get there. And I think it was the idea that there was going to be another girl that could possibly come in and benefit from who he would turn into after, after all that we'd been through together that it just snapped. I was like, Oh my gosh, you're right. Oh my gosh. You know, and I remember going home and saying to him, because he really, he was trying so hard. It was me that was being difficult. And I remember going home and saying to him, okay, we're going to have to fall in love again. And we're going to have to date again. But we're going to do this. And we're going to make it. And we're going to do it for us. And we're going to do it for that little boy that's upstairs. And we both cried. I mean, it was like, we both wanted this, but we were just so difficult. And honestly, Bill, from then on out, we cut, we, we just created a environment around us that we trusted. We cut off some friendships that we knew were unhealthy. We really just like hermited our marriage. And because we got through that bill and because we worked through all of that stuff and, and one of the biggest things that we learned was how to be honest with one another. And sometimes, Bill, let me tell you that honesty is so painful. It is so painful when you have to give the other person space to tell, tell you what's really on their mind and it's stuff that they don't want to hurt you with, but yet they're going to hurt you. It's going to hurt no matter what. And you have to sit there and you have to just be so glad that they were just honest enough. We both had to do that to one another. And it was, it was so 
brutal. That's an author that I know that uses brutal and beautiful and puts it together. But that's what it was. It was brutal. It was, and it got us to this place of awesomeness. It really did. It, it and I got a blessing at that time from, I, I went to a, another member of, um, I, my vocal instructor had a son that I really trusted and, and I, I told Russ that I was going to go get a blessing from him and I got a blessing from him. And in that blessing, it was very direct. Like you need to cleave to your husband right now because it will be the best that it has ever been. And it will need to be for times ahead. So it was almost like I was being told this is good what you're doing because it's going to get harder later. And it kind of scared me. But at the same time, I just knew that it was going to be okay. So, so having gotten through that hard time and really getting to know my spouse, really getting to know him and him getting to know me, I know is what contributed to us getting through the, what would, what would help us navigate his faith transition. Mm. There's so much in this last segment that you just spoke to. So first, this leader you have. Yeah. Like what amazing counsel that I've, I've never, I mean, I don't know what his career was. I don't know what the guy did for a living. I don't know what his life experience was, but what he did was he spoke from what, what I call, or and I get it from Richard Rohr, but what Richard Rohr calls the second half of life. Yeah. Where, where we've, we've really worked through that dualistic thinking. And now we, we look back with like this wisdom that we've gained um, through our experience to tell somebody like you're going to come out different people and man, it would be a shame to not get to know each other as those different people and to make this thing work. Um, as you were saying that I was thinking about my own life and my wife and I, it's the same story. Like I think everybody has this story where you're young and you're naive and you think like the world works a certain way and and it's important that your spouse take care of you, but, but you can be a little fake behind the scenes and not really show your real self. And, and we make mistakes and we slip up and, and we hide parts of ourselves from the people we love. And, and then at some point, my wife and I have this vulnerable moment and it's actually pretty recent where we're looking at each other and we're like, wow, we worked through all of that, like all that behind us that that I didn't like you in these moments and you didn't like me and, and you had betrayed me in these ways and I had betrayed you in these ways. And in, in, you know, I lost trust because of this and you lost trust because of that. Mm -hmm. And here we are now in the second half we're, we're married. We celebrated 20 years and we're here. We are together for 20 years and we're looking back like we're different people. Yeah. We're not the same. That's not us. And so like there was this moment of like, let's let go of judging ourselves for who we were because that person's gone that person is dead yeah and now we're something new and this something new is more mature and it's it's more selfless and it's more real and it's more vulnerable and i love all of that and you're speaking right to the heart of it which is and, and i'm simply saying like we've we all hopefully i get i get some people don't but within the listenership yeah a lot of us have experienced that and you're speaking to a truth that exist in this world. So you, you, you deal with that kind of stuff and you begin to be more vulnerable with each other. You're, you're, you're getting counseling or therapy, which I think everybody needs. We, it's such a taboo to talk about, but I think everybody oh. should have a therapist on speed dial and, and being see at least seeing somebody, you know, once a, once a quarter at the very least in this world. 
Um, but maybe walk us through kind of how life unfolds after this point. So, so I second that. I think therapists are, I think everybody should have a therapist. In fact, that's what I want to do when my youngest is back. I want to go back for my master's and get it. But I, I, therapy is amazing. I I wish there was not a negative, um, stigma to it, but okay. So, um, I'm trying to remember. We just, we started just trying to fall in love again. We really did. And, and that takes a lot of time. It really does. And, um, I think at that point we had, so we weren't still obviously living in that little apartment. We were in a neighborhood, like we built a house. My father-in-law is a builder and he built us um, a beautiful home that we were able to live in at that time. So we were surrounded. I'm just trying to remember exactly how everything played out after that. I think, I think it was still Bill. It really was like we, we had stillness and, and I go back to that blessing that I had because I think that Heavenly Father really wanted us to to have a break because, oh, in five to seven years, there was going to be a bombshell dropped on, you know, on it again. And we needed to be able to to really get to know each other, get to know each other again, because we were different people. We were. And that's that's another thing that happens when when you um, get married so young, it's inevitable that you're going to change. Because you're, you're, you're a baby still and you, and you are ever changing and ever growing and even now, um, but we're, we're a lot better at allowing that growth to happen now. But anyway, so yeah, it was, it, we lived, um, I think that was in, gosh, 2000 and we moved to Dallas in 2012, but we had, I think three to four years or maybe five years of just stillness. It was, it was good. It was really, really, really good. And, uh, my parents were thrilled that we had worked things out, you know, cause my, my, my dad, <laughs> oh, my dad's amazing. And my mom, I mean, don't get me wrong. I don't want to make my family sound like they're just so amazing. Like for everything, our family and my mom would tell you we're, we're a hot mess. We really are like, there's no perfect family. And, um, but they try their best by their kids and they, and they, I think in that area, they've done an amazing job. But my dad, I remember him telling me like, he was specifically telling me when this was all going on, you are being so difficult. Stop it. Like he, he was almost siding with Russ through like a lot of it. And I would get mad at him, but then he would, he, my dad just has a way of being able to communicate with me. He always has. Uh, my mom and I tend to like butt heads a little bit, but we're close. So I don't, I don't know. My dad, I just, he's just, my dad's had a crazy life. And I think that that is what contributed to him really being an influence and in getting my head or part of the influence and in getting my head back on straight when it came to my marriage. But, um, yeah, it was just stillness that, that we had to answer to go, you know, bring this back around. And in 2012, um, we, my husband got a, an opportunity to transfer to Dallas for, with his job. And now, I kind of have to build like a little picture here. So Russ, besides college and his mission, had never lived outside of Idaho. So he was very Idaho based. And I, I mean, I, I had moved around a little bit more than that, but I mean, California to, to Idaho to Hawaii. So I guess I really didn't move that much more, but I was, I was going to, I had left my home way before he had left it. Um, and we had a really good neighborhood. We were in a really good ward. And we were kind of living it up. So it was the move was going to be hard. But at the same time, 
we felt so good about it. And we knew that it was the next step that we were supposed to take. So we moved to Dallas. I know um, there's so no, much no, no, stuff. No. <laughs> there is. And this is good. I'm going to tell you, we are about, I don't know. Let's see here. We are an hour and 20 minutes. I know. In, I and I know. I'm like, no, oh. it's good. It's good. I know we have like another, at least another hour and 20 minutes, I think to go. I know. I know. And, and, and folks don't know this. We're recording on the, the 10th of November and, and my, store that I manage opens up in about 50 minutes. So I know we're gonna have to split this up into two parts. Yeah. And I'm trying to, I'm looking at the outline, I'm like, where's a good breaking point? <laughs> and I think it's maybe this after this next section. Okay. But you, so you moved to Texas, your, your husband gets this job off offer with the company that he's, um, that he's working for. And you guys moved to Dallas and what's going to, I want to set the listener up because they're going to be listening to this and obviously in two parts. Mm-hmm. And I want you to kind of tease out where we're going to go, but I want you to start by telling us what life is like in Dallas, Texas. Now, I'm trying to picture this. First, you're, you're in California. Yeah. You go to Idaho, which again yeah. can't be more opposite. Uh-huh. You, you go to, uh, Hawaii. Yep. Back to, which go back to Idaho. Yep. And, and now you're going to Dallas, Texas, which is a, a country all by itself. Yep. Yep. So, Maybe tell us about Dallas, Texas. Tell us about what Mormonism is like there. Tell us about what's going on in your family and the dynamics. But then maybe tease out kind of where we're going to go. Okay. And uh, and then we'll kind of wrap up this episode. And you and I are going to have to pick this up another day. Okay. But <laughs> I think this fine. has been great. Like yeah. your story is our story and it's yeah. so fascinating. Oh, I appreciate that. I hope that it helps people. But okay. So we, we get to Dallas and we have – well, okay. So – the leader, the fantastic leader that I had, the bishop that, that really was just a rock star. He actually had lived in Dallas with his family, um, before he, so the ward that we were going into where we had found the apartment complex that we were going to move to, he was actually bishop over that ward before it had split. So it had the Dallas ward that he was bishop over had split since he had moved to Idaho and been, become a bishop in Idaho. And he had been, this was his second time around and he was young. So he was a young bishop. Um, so he and his wife could kind of give us a little bit like, oh, you'll meet this person and this person. So I didn't feel like I was like walking into total um, darkness, you know, but it was we definitely moved blind. So we get there and we have left all of our family. So I don't have my family, but Russ's whole family was within a mile of us in Idaho. So he has. Um, his parents, and then he has three other brothers and they all have kids. So it was like, we left family completely. And I, we got to Dallas and my brother was already in San Antonio. Okay. And my parents had just purchased property, I believe in Bernie at that time. I think they had purchased property. So they, um, my whole family was going to eventually be back in the same state and it was going to be fantastic. Right. But we were five hours apart from each other. So it wasn't like, Hey, can you come help me with my kids? It's, it, it wasn't going to be that type of a luxury, but anyway, we get to Dallas and I had been told that the church is really strong in Dallas and, and I was good with that. Like I, I, I was great with that. I was coming from Idaho. I wanted it to be strong. Um, and the ward was great. It was, it, um, they're very welcoming and, um, the bishop is great and everybody wants you to feel comfortable and, and we just get, 
we get comfortable and, and we do that for about, oh gosh, um, we just barely moved to San Antonio here three months ago. So we, from 2012 until now, I mean, it was, I, um, I taught, let's see here. I taught, I had a few different callings. I was in young women and then I started teaching gospel doctrine and, and that was, I would say two years before we moved and we're in 2017. So that was in 2015. I started teaching gospel doctrine, but right around the time I started teaching gospel doctrine, I started seeing all the red flags that Russ was starting to lose his testimony in the gospel. And, um, and that was creating a problem because I was teaching gospel doctrine and, um, I was going to have to really face a lot of things. And our life was again, going to change big time. And it was going to require a lot of bravery, a lot of courage. And, um, and that was going to, it was going to scare me. It was, it was going to, it was going to rock my boat, but I, we rally and, and we've got a beautiful story and that I think that a lot of people will benefit from. You, I'll tell you another thing too. You seem remarkably confident and comfortable having a recorded interview of all the people I've spoken to outside of scholars, just everyday people that I've interviewed. You are as confident and comfortable doing this as anybody I've seen. So I just want to say that's amazing. Oh, I appreciate that so much. I do because I just, I Bill, I love the people going through this, and I, I don't even know them, but I just love them so much. And I, I've been doing this now for five years, and I really, really want people to know they're not alone. Be still, my soul.